Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, I know that was a very heavy beginning, but I think a very appropriate. And uh, so as we look here, as we conclude our study on the Lord's Prayer, I think that as we think of what's going on in world events, I think that there's probably no more appropriate line in the Lord's Prayer than the part that we're going to pray and say this morning. So let's stand one more time as we prepare for a four-hour sermon. When we get to the prayer, would you say it with me? And as we talk about temptation, may you ask the Lord to make me not preach at long. Verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. What's your greatest temptation? You know, for some of you, it's this, and for some of you, it's that. Oscar Wilde said that I can resist almost anything except temptation. (laughs) All of us have areas in our lives that are vulnerable. As I'm even speaking this, you're thinking of things and maybe areas this week you've struggled in. We're all sinners that struggle with sin. You know, my first vehicle uh, was a 1985 Dodge Ram. Uh, It had a 318 engine in it. Now, what that means, I know not. (laughs) But for those in the room that do, you know. I paid $1,500 of my own money. My dad dad and my mom, my mom's birthday is today, so happy birthday, mom. Um, But uh, today, uh, yes, praise God, you can give her a hand. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Um, but my mom and dad wanted to instill in me a good work ethic, so they made me pay every dime for my vehicle. But let me just tell you something. For $1,500, a 1985 Dodge Ram, as good as that may sound, it had some issues. And one of the issues of this vehicle was that it was severely out of alignment. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so as long as I put both hands on the steering wheel, we could go straight. So... If I ever took my hands off just a little bit, it would veer to the left. Anybody ever had a car like that? It would veer to the left. And so I like to eat fast food and drive with my knees. Anybody else do that? Well, you couldn't do that with this truck uh, because if you did, you would be in the ditch. Well, the reason I tell you about that truck is that our hearts are like that truck. We are all prone to go off the narrow road and crash into the ditch 
of evil and sin. Our hearts are curved inward and away from God, like a, bl- a bug that's attracted to light, like a moth that's attracted to the flame. We are attracted and we run towards evil. And so that hymn writer who wrote that famous hymn, Come Thou Fount, Robert Robinson, wrote in that one line that we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And this is why Jesus taught us as we end this prayer to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. See, the Lord's prayer is the prayer of prayers given by the King of Kings. It's just 52 words in English. It can be read in less than one minute, but yet it takes a lifetime to comprehend. The prayer starts by aligning us to God and his glory. And then it invites us to ask about our needs for our good. Each line teaches us how we are to pray to God our Father. And each line teaches us a lot about ourselves. The last three prayer requests are about our neediness for God's provision, for God's pardon, and for God's protection. The last request is a call to arms. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's a reminder of the daily fight that we have against not only the evil outside of us, but the evil inside of us. See, when you and I pray, what Jesus teaches us to pray, when you and I pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, let your name be magnified in my life. Let you be the most worthy in my life. When you and I pray your kingdom come, not my kingdom, not Satan's kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world, but would your kingdom come and would it come deeper in my life and be expanded through my life? And would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? When you pray prayers like that, you are going to need protection from the enemy. Because my friends, you are either in collusion with the devil or you will be in collision with the devil. And so what we learn here in this last line is that when you and I pray, lead us and deliver us, we are acknowledging our inability to overcome the danger of evil on our own. And we are relying on God, our Father, to deliver us from it. So let's just look at that real quickly. The danger of evil that we face. He says, and, which is a conjunction, and lead us not into temptation. Now, when you first read that on the surface, there seems to be some confusion. We are praying to our Father who feeds us. We're praying to our Father who forgives us. And so why would we ever pray to our Father to not lead us into temptation? Why would we need to ask God, our Father, not to do it? Well, let me clear up something really quick. The thing I want to clear up is that God will never entice us or tempt us with evil. James 1.13 is very clear on that. Let no one say when he's being tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. For God to tempt someone with evil would be inconsistent with his character. So as you read Scripture, Scripture interprets and unfolds Scripture. And so God does not tempt us to sin against Him because if God tempted us to sin against Him, His temptation would be simply irresistible. So this word temptation, parasmus, in the Greek, uh, is, is translated as temptation, uh, as trials, as testing. And in the Bible, there seems to be about three different meanings of this word temptation. The first meaning of the word parasmus 
um, is found in James chapter one, where James says, consider it joy, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. And so one way to translate this idea of temptation is the testing of your faith. Now, temptations and the testing of your faith is not sinful in and of themselves. It's sometimes situations of suffering or situations of pain in which you may be, because of that situation, be tempted to doubt God, to distrust God, to compromise with the world, and maybe even to give up your faith. But another way that the Bible translates parasmus is not just a testing of your faith, but it's an enticement to sin. This is temptation that comes from outside of us. This is the enticement to sin from the world or from the devil. So not only is this parasmos, uh, which now you know that word in the Greek, uh, is a testing of your faith or an enticement to sin, but the third way is an allurement to sin from within. That is, there's this internal sinful desire that comes from the presence of indwelling sin. And so that temptation can mean either the testing of your faith or the enticement to sin outside of you or the allurement to sin inside of you. Now, here's what you have to understand. God allows us to be tested to develop us. Satan and the world tempt us to destroy us. And so what does Jesus mean here by leading, lead us not into temptation? Does he mean the testing of our faith? Are we saying, Lord, do not allow my faith to be tested, lead me away from the testing of my faith? Or is it something else? And I'm so glad you asked because the second line illuminates the first line. And so what seems to be two requests is really one. So he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is what's known as Hebrew parallelism. I know that blessed your heart this morning. But in Hebrew parallelism, the second line illuminates the first. And so the request is really understood in light of both. Lead us not into temptation is the same thing, the same way of saying deliver us from evil or the evil one. And so this prayer is asking God, would you guide me and would you guard me away from the enticement of sin from the outside and the allurement of sin on the inside. Lead me away from that. Now, if you read, if you read in Matthew's gospel, just two chapters previous in Matthew chapter four, the Bible says that after Jesus was baptized, he went into the wilderness uh, and he, for 40 days and 40 nights, he went through a supernatural fast. And then after that fast, he was tempted by the devil. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter four, verse one, that he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Now, he teaches us, lead us not into temptation, but yet Jesus himself was led into temptation. Now, this was a unique experience that Jesus had because Jesus had a unique mission to fulfill. See, Jesus in this situation succeeded in his temptation where the first Adam failed. So just as Satan tempted Adam and Eve, Satan tempted Jesus Christ. As Satan tempted Adam and Eve and they failed, the first Adam failed the test. Jesus, the second Adam, passed the test. But even further, take it even a little bit deeper, even beyond Adam and Eve, Jesus is the second Israel. 
The first Israel sinned in the wilderness. And because of that, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, the second Israel, the greater Israel, is in the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights, and he proved faithful where the first Israel proved faithless. See, Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. Jesus had no indwelling sin nature. Jesus could not have sinned, but yet in his temptation, he still suffered. John Owens, the Puritan, said Jesus had the suffering part of temptation. We have the sinful part. And so Jesus is teaching us to pray on the heels of this. The disciples knew about this. And so on the heels of this, Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, do not lead me into the same kind of haunted wilderness as Jesus went through. Why? Because I am not as strong. I will not make it. I will fall into temptation. See, when you pray, lead me not into temptation or lead us not into temptation, you're not asking God to give you a life free from suffering. But what you're asking for is you're asking that God would set you apart from sinning. The word lead or deliver is shepherding terms, words of dependence, not self-sufficiency. Words of powerlessness and desperation. It's, it's as if we're saying, God, if you don't lead us away from temptation, if you don't protect us from evil, we are in trouble. God, guide us so that we don't get into situations where the enticement and the allurement of sin will be greater than what we can bear. See, when you pray a prayer like this, you are understanding how frail, how weak, how insufficient you and I are to face the onslaught of temptation, not only outside of us, but inside of us. You know, most of us have no issue praying for God to forgive us. Most of us, that's a normal part of our prayer time. But, but how often do we pray that God would deliver us from evil? How often do we pray that God would lead us away from temptation? I found that most people would rather have an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff than to put guardrails at the top of the cliff. And so it is with us. Listen, we should not just thank God for the ambulance at the bottom, but we should put guardrails up in our prayers. And I want to encourage you that this week, pray this prayer leads you not into temptation. Why? Because a temptation to sin is desire plus opportunity. See, temptations are tempting. It's not a sin to be tempted, but often we sin because of temptation. And so it's where our desires are met with an opportunity. So if I struggle with overeating, the desire for comfort the desire for pleasure tries to find its satisfaction in food. And so the desire for food plus an all-you-can-eat buffet is a temptation that in my own strength I'm going to struggle to overcome. Why? Because, number one, there is a danger of desire. There's a danger of desire. That's inside evil. The, the, the problem is within us. John Owens, again, the Puritan, said that the seed of every sin is in every heart. The, the blame of sin does not fall on God. The blame of sin falls on us. We are totally depraved, not utterly depraved, but totally depraved, which means that you and I in this room or watching online have the potential of doing the worst imaginable th kind, unimaginable things possible. 
And you say, preacher, not me. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not. Listen, if you say that, you do not understand the power of indwelling sin. I know some of you, well, preacher, I would never do that. Well, be careful when you say never. Jesus says in Mark chapter seven, verse 20, Jesus says what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Not everyone is tempted by the same thing in the same way to the same extent. I mean, if you were to put this in front of me, I wouldn't have any desire for it. If you were to put that in front of me, I may struggle. And I'm not going to tell you what this is, and I definitely ain't going to tell you what that is. But all of you in this room, everyone has things that they are sinfully predispositioned towards. Again, I want to reiterate, it's not a sin to be tempted, but we fall to sinful temptation because of sinful desires. James talks about this in James 1 verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That word desire in the Greek is epithumia. And it means, it can be translated over desire. So everyone is tempted, everyone is lured, everyone is enticed by their over desire. And so what that means is this, is it's not that we want bad things. Most of us don't want bad things. The problem is, is that we want good things too badly. See, it's our over-desires. It's our over-desire for good things that turn those good things into bad things. See, good things become bad things when they become God things in your life. And so not every desire is evil, but all of our desires have the potential or the capacity for evil. And here's what sin does. Here's what your sin nature does. Sin takes the desire for food, a completely legitimate desire, and turns it into gluttony. Sin takes the desire to make money, to provide for your family, to provide for the kingdom. Sin takes that desire to make money and turns it into greed. Sin takes the desire for comfort, for rest. It's a natural, God made you with that desire for rest. And sin turns it into laziness. God, uh, sin takes that desire for sex, which is a God-given desire that he's given to you. And, and what sin does is turns it into perversion. See, disordered desires can kill you. And over-desire for success will kill the body with overwork. An over-desire for love will either kill you if you're rejected or will kill the other person if they don't meet all your expectations. An over-desire for control will kill your relationships. An over-desire for acceptance will kill your integrity and your happiness. There is danger in our desires. Remember, the temptation to sin is desire plus opportunity. Not only is there danger in desire, but there's danger in opportunity from outside evil. See, here's what you have to understand. You don't live in a vacuum. If you are a friend of God, how many of you are friends of God in the room? Say amen. amen. Well, then you're an enemy of Satan. If you're a friend of God, you're an enemy of Satan. You are an enemy of this world. And we must not underestimate the power of the demonic. Do you realize that what is happening in our world and in this nation is demonic? 
And we should not underestimate the power of of the demonic, but also we should not overestimate our own strength in fighting it. See, we have an enemy who is scheming to attack you and I in specific places where we are most vulnerable. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Dr. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Satan and the, the world dangle the bait. And it looks good. And it smells good. But they hide the hook. The world says, love me, not God. The world says, love me, I'll make you happy. The world says, love me, and you'll get whatever you've ever wanted. The world says, love me, and you'll be rich and famous. And the world promises the same baloney that Satan promised Jesus in the wilderness of temptation, the same baloney that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden. The world promises pleasure. The world promises power. The world promises fame, and yet it never lasts. See, Satan will give you his best 30 minutes for the rest of your life. There's danger, Will Robinson. There's danger out there. And so as we pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, we are recognizing the powerful reality of temptation. We understand the powerful reality, the danger of not only indwelling sin, the danger of desire, but we're recognizing the danger of opportunity, the spiritual attack that comes to us daily. Let me tell you, our world system is set up to attack you. And so when we pray this prayer, we are admitting that we are not able to resist temptation in our own power, that apart from God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are helpless. And so just as we pray for daily bread and just as we pray for daily forgiveness, we need to pray for daily protection because of the danger of evil that we face. But not only do we talk about the danger of evil that we face, but secondly, the deliverance from evil that we need. Not only the danger that we face, but the deliverance that we need. And so as we pray, lead us and deliver us, just by the very mentioning of that in our prayers, we are beginning the process of God's deliverance from temptation and from the evil one. See, God uses, often uses our prayers to answer our prayer. God not only keeps us from temptation, because of our prayers, but in the very act of praying, we are engaged more deeply in the fight against it. See, as we pray for God to keep us from temptation, we are recognizing our propensity towards certain sins and our, abil- un- our inability to fight them alone. And so we pray, and as we pray, we become more aware and more dependent, which is a way that God protects us from ourselves and from the evil one. The more we pray about it, the more we're prepared when we face it. So here's a key that I think will help unlock the door in many situations in life. Before you make a decision, before you do anything, ask yourself this question, have I prayed about it? I mean, pray about whatever is in your life and share with what, share God, share with God what you're about to do. 
like this. Maybe you pray a prayer like this. Lord, would you bless me if I go to a party and get drunk with my friends? Or maybe you should pray a prayer like this. Lord, would you bless me if I have an affair with someone I'm not married to? Or Lord, would you bless me if I go around telling people things that are not nice about other people that I don't like? Do you realize that when you pray for that, you're going to get your answer? And you say, well, preacher, that's, that's silly. I'm not going to pray a prayer like that. But here's what I found. When you start praying about everything, you don't do as much bad as you might have wanted to do. See, as we pray, we are fortifying our souls against sin and against spiritual attack. See, when, when we pray, we remind ourselves about the hollow, shallow, fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's the thing about sin. Sin is fun. And if it's not fun, you're not doing it right. That trickle, that's trickling in some of you's minds. But the pleasures of sin are just for a season. But the pleasures of God are deep and enduring. And so when you pray, you are showing your soul an object more beautiful. You are reorienting your hearts and minds towards God as the source of everything that you need. Let me give you a tip for those of you wanting to buy a car. Now, if you're a car salesperson, I don't want an email after this. <laughs> but let me help you if you're thinking of buying a car. Do not buy the car the first time you walk onto the lot. So what I mean is, is what I've found, I had a lot of people in the car business, and they, if they can just keep you on the lot, they can get you to go into their little room and set you there with a little bottle of water or some little nasty cup of coffee. They can wear you down. They can wear your resolve down. Let me give you another tip. If you're wanting to trade a vehicle, don't bring your trade with you the first time. Tell them about how great that car is. Don't lie. Just accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. Latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Now listen, why? Because you got to think about it. And if, you, if you're not tempted, if, if you stay in that room, the longer they wear on you, the more you're going to say, well, I'm done. Let's get this over with. I, listen, I am persuaded that they keep you a whole lot longer to wear you down. Maybe that's wrong of me. Again, I don't expect emails. Or if I do get one, I'm sorry. But it's the truth. The reason I'm telling you this is that when you think about it, you often really think through, do I really need this car? I mean, have you ever bought a car? Like you spent a lot of money, money you didn't have to impress people you didn't like. And you bring that car home and you look at it and then you have buyer's remorse. Anybody ever like, oh, why did I buy this thing? Good grief. Good night. Because the pleasure of sin is for a season. But when you think about stuff, when you pray about stuff, it reorients your hearts to help you think through things. See, when you and I pray against temptation, we can expect one of two outcomes or maybe both. When you and I pray against temptation and spiritual attack, one, in a real way, in a real way, God will keep us from temptation that we would have otherwise faced had we not prayed. 
See, God is ordained. He is so sovereign. He has ordained that prayer is a means by which things happen and things change. And so when you pray against temptation and against spiritual attack, in a real way, God may keep that from you. But secondly, at times, God may see fit to have you go through temptation, through the very temptation you prayed against. And when you do, having prayed, you are better prepared to face it and defeat it in the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have had a moment of temptation and by God's grace, you said no? The joy of that. You know, Barbara Bush and Nancy Reagan said, just say no. And I love it when I can say no to sin and yes to God. And what prepares me for that is prayer. When you are prayerless, you are prey to the attacks of the devil. But here's the good news. When temptation and testing comes, we are not without promises. First Corinthians 10, 13. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So don't just think you're a unique person. God is faithful and he will not let you be attempted, let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Now, a lot of people love that verse. I mean, that's it. That people say, preacher, if I ever face temptation, I know God's faithful and he's going to provide a way out. But they leave off the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse is probably the most important part of the verse. He will provide a way of escape that or so that you may be able to endure it. The way of escape doesn't always mean we get out of the temptation. The way of escape means that we have the ability to endure it. We're able to endure the temptation, just say no. And if we do that, it's because of the grace of God empowering and enable us. And when we have escaped the design of Satan to sin against God, and we've endured suffering and not curse God, we have escaped the design of Satan to destroy our faith. And so there are two ways of escape that Paul teaches here. The first way of escape is endurance. That by God's grace, we endure the trial, we endure the temptation, we endure the attack that God allows and we don't succumb to it. But another way that God helps us escape is by exit. But God, by his grace, we exit the trial. The trial doesn't show up. Here's what you have to learn. God may not always keep us from temptation, but he will always keep us through temptation. God never and never will put us in a situation where there's no way out. God will never put us in a situation where his grace is not sufficient for the challenge. God will always provide a way, no matter how overwhelmed we feel, our Father gives us grace to either endure the temptation or the grace to exit the temptation. That's why some people say, well, preacher, doesn't this verse say that God will not give you any more than you can bear? Not necessarily. What the text, I think, is teaching is this, is that God will not give you any more than he can bear. See, God in his grace shields us and protects us. He gives us the grace to endure. He gives us the grace to run away, to shut the door on the devil and run. And therefore, we can trust him. But how can we trust him? How, how can we know that God will protect us? How do we know that in the midst of the chaos in our world today that we have protection from the evil one? The reason why is, is because Jesus has endured the worst for us. See, we can have victory over temptation and Satan because Jesus has already won the victory. We're not fighting for victory. It's already been won. 
We're fighting from victory to victory. That's why Jesus, think about this. How can we know? Matthew 26, 41. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Olive Press. Disciples were with him. Peter, James, and John. All those guys were there. Here's what he says to them. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples, when they hear Jesus say that, they did not know that that was the darkest night in Jesus's life. All of the human and demonic forces of evil had converged on Jesus in the garden and were circling like vultures above his head. This moment where Jesus says, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation was the hour that Jesus had been talking about. You know, all throughout the gospels, Jesus says, it's not my hour, it's not my hour, it's not my hour. Well, this was the hour. Luke twenty two fifty three 53 says, this is the hour, the hour of darkness. This is Jesus's greatest test. 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan was nothing compared to what Jesus would experience starting in the garden, going to his arrest, going through his betrayal, his mock trials and his crucifixion. And the question that all of heaven asked is this, will the sinless son of God, will the sinless God man suffer torture to death for the sins of rebels that he loves. And the irony is, is that Jesus told his disciples to pray that they wouldn't enter to temptation while he was suffering the most unimaginable temptation. He was saying, pray that you don't enter into temptation while he is going through the worst temptation. See, Jesus was in the furnace so that they wouldn't be in the furnace. Jesus was not protected from the greatest temptation or the greatest trial of his life, but he endured it successfully for us. He experienced the horrors of hell, the onslaught of Satan and the demons and the temptation to save himself, and he overcame. And because Jesus overcame the greatest trial, because Jesus overcame the most unimaginable temptation, he has the power to protect you from any temptation and any attack that you'll ever face. See, our God is a delivering God. Just as he delivered Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, just as he delivered Daniel from the mouths of the lions, just as he delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage, just as he delivered David from the onslaught of King Saul, so he can deliver you. And so we pray this prayer. And we know that because of Jesus, our prayer of protection is heard. Because God the Father did not protect God the Son so that he could protect us forever. You know, in a real sense, God's already answered this prayer. Because we'll never go through the same trials of Jesus. And we never have to fear the attacks of Satan because Satan is a defeated foe. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be scared. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. 
We are more than overcomers through him who loved us because Jesus has already died to answer this prayer, deliver us. You know, as a dad, I have an innate desire to want to protect my wife and kids. It's a God-given desire. And I, as a dad, would never knowingly put my kids in danger. But yet there are situations in times that they get afraid and they think the situation is dangerous, but I know in my heart they're okay. You know, each of my kids, when they first learned how to swim, you know, I, I was taught in, in college that a child from zero to six months, if you throw them in the water, they could swim. They're just, they're able to do that. I don't know how they figured that one out. And I don't recommend any of y'all trying that. But I remember when they were like two or three and they'd be in the water with daddy and we'd be in there and I would throw them, you know, we'd just have a great time. And, and what I would do with them is put them out here arm's length and I'd let them go. And this is, they were trying to learn how to swim. And so they would, they, they would scare, daddy, 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 what are you know, daddy, daddy. And I'd just grab them. And I'd grab them and they would hold on for dear life. And that's one of the sweetest moments as a dad, right? <laughs> let me just let you in on something. I was never going to let them drown. They may have thought they were drowning, but I was never going to let them drown. They were just as safe as if they were in my arms, even though they didn't think they were. And when they cried for, for help, I, I grabbed them and held them, but they were always safe in my arms. Well, this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is saying to our father, Daddy, I need your help. I can't swim on my own. I'm lost without you. Keep me from drowning in temptation. Keep me from being discouraged in attacks. And when you do that, when you pray that prayer, the Father picks you up and wraps his arms of grace around you and you are saved. But here's the truth. You were always saved. You were never gonna drown. He's never gonna let you go, never gonna let you down, never gonna turn around and desert you. Always safe. But when you pray that prayer, you feel it. You feel it. Are you struggling? Are you drowning? Are you under attack? Then run to Jesus. Cry to your Father. Ask Him to deliver you. And I promise you on the authority of God's Word. He will deliver you. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you, Father, that we are safe in your arms. That when we pray, lead us and deliver us, we can trust that because you have already done the greatest thing in delivering us. And Father, we praise you that you have defeated the devil. And Lord, help us to live in victory this week. For those in this room that need you as Savior, God, would they cry out to you knowing that they can be saved today. 
And we love you and we praise you for your great, amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and let's sing about God's amazing grace. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.